Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Well, the phrase, the greatest show on earth, as I understand it, actually originated in the circus. It was Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus that, uh, that way, way, way back in the day was billed as the greatest show on earth. And, and one of the draws, one of the draws of the circus would be the dangerous acts. Now, you can't have dangerous acts like, you know, like the flying Walendas, right? You know, you can't have high wire acts and dangerous acts that are not from time to time to be accidents, and when someone would get hurt, there was this, this spirit amongst all the performers that we're not going to allow anything to keep us from doing what we do. Nothing's going to stop the show. The show, the show must go on. Because after all, we are a part of the greatest show on earth. And we want to give the people what they come for. I would say that that same spirit was at the heart of what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Because we as followers of Jesus, we as followers of Jesus are a part of the greatest show on earth, and we know that the show has to go on. It can't stop because people are counting on us. There are broken people that are, that are counting on us. They need the hope that we as followers of Jesus have. Not perfection. They're not looking for perfection. And through our brokenness and through our hurt and through our pain, that we can tell them that while people will fail you, that Jesus will never fail you and that He will give you the strength and that there is something about the love of Jesus. Then when you understand the love of Jesus, then what you know is that you matter. See, people need to know that they matter and that all people matter. Hello, y'all out there? It's a preach. All people matter. So this morning I want I want us to look at the resurrection through the eyes of Mary Magdalene, who had a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Mark 16, verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome. I just want to say Salome. I just I'm sorry. I, I, I said it the first service. Every time I read this, I just in my head, that's what I say. Sorry. I'll offend you again in a minute, so just give me a second. <laughs> Bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. So can I just say right out of the gate that the reason that Mary and these ladies are going to the tomb is not their great faith. Somehow I missed that growing up. I, I, somehow I was grown up I was taught to believe that it was her great faith it was not her great faith they did not go to see a resurrected body they went to anoint a dead body that was the point of the spices on their way to the tomb and they ask each other I love this question so are y'all, are you tracking with the story? 
So it's not great faith, right? It's not a great faith that's taking them to the tomb that day. It's a great love. It's, it's really a great love for Jesus. It has absolutely, positively nothing to do with faith. And so they're on their way. They're on their way to the tomb. And suddenly they look at each other and they go, well, shoot. Who's going to roll that big stone away? Because we know that there's a stone that's there. Posted to make sure that the stone stays there. Who's going to roll the stone away? There's not much faith here. Not much faith at all. But there is love. And I would say that don't you ever underestimate the power and the beauty of love. Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So, for all of you deep thinkers, for all of you great theologians, and I know that we have some at Springwell, so if you want to wade out into the deep water, then let me ask you this question. Is it possible that a great love can produce action even when there's absolutely, positively, no sign of faith? Y'all thinking about that just a, just a bit? Hang that on the clothesline of your mind and we'll let the Holy Spirit kind of blow over that as we go through this message. Is it possible? Is it possible that great love can produce action even when there is no sign of faith? Verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Well, he's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples. And I love how this segregated Peter. He's off to the side. Go tell his disciples, and by the way, make sure that you tell Peter. Peter feels like a failure. I mean, like he miserably blew it. You don't have to be a regular church attender to another story of Peter, right? That he denied even knowing Jesus three times. One of his most devoted disciples denies even knowing him. And this angel says, make sure. Make sure that you look deep into Peter's eyes. Make sure that you tell him. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So with apologies to the circus or Broadway or whoever else has used this statement, there has never been or will there ever be a greater show than this one. The resurrection, we are talking about it a few minutes ago. The resurrection, it is the linchpin of our salvation. It is the hope of and the cornerstone of our faith. It is the hope that we take with us to the grave. It is the very thing that gets us through the valley of the shadow of death. It is hope. The beautiful thing that I have watched many, many Christians die over the years. And the one thing that I'll say is that I've often looked into the eyes of a child of God, a follower of Christ, and in their darkest, deepest, nastiest hour, there's a smile on their face. It's crazy. How does that happen? How are you not overwhelmed with fear? Well, that would just be Jesus. The resurrection really is a big deal. So if you're brand new to church and you wonder what all the fuss is about, well, that's it. I mean, it really is that he's alive. So to be honest, I don't really know how you thought, what you thought about me calling the resurrection a show. If I'm gut level honest, I would go ahead and tell you that I know some have been offended. But if you look up the synonyms for show, then you're going to find words like demonstration, performance, illustration, Display 
And then here's my word, spectacle. Spectacle. That's a synonym. And just so you know, Paul literally used the word spectacle in Colossians chapter 2 where he said this. He said, in having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made what? He made a public spectacle of Satan. He made a public spectacle of all of the demons and all of the power and all of the authority of hell. He made a spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. The devil thought that he defeated Jesus when he nailed him to the cross. Turned out that he just pounded those three nails into his own coffin. That's good right there. Come on. Yeah, come on. Give me just a little love. I got it from somebody else. But it was awesome. I just wanted to share it. Jesus made a public spectacle of Satan. He disarmed the power and the authority of the one who thought that he could drag us into hell with him. The author of Ephesians said it like this, is that, that we were dead because of, our, because of our transgressions, that we were literally dead because of our sin. We were spiritually dead, but Jesus, what he did on the cross... He shed his blood and because he had power over death, hell, and the grave, we have power. And he rescued us from the grip of death and hell. I'm just saying that the resurrection of Jesus is a really, really, really big deal. It's our hope. And guess what? For this great show, for this spectacle, for this public display of awesome power and love, this lady named Mary Magdalene, she had a front row seat, and that's a really big deal. Maybe it's not a big deal in our culture because women have, much, uh, they have more rights than they did back in the day, but you have to understand that way, way back in the day that a woman, had, she, she had no rights, and she, she had no authority, she had no power. She, they would not even allow her to, to, to give a witness in, in, in court. I mean, her word was worth nothing. She was lower than the dogs. And yet it was this woman, this woman named Mary, that had a front row seat, to the greatest show on earth. Verse 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, of whom he had driven out seven demons. Hmm. Luke 8 really gives us a little bit more of her story. Verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women. Hmm. Well, there he is again, Jesus being surrounded by women. Some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, not to be confused with old Susanna. I just, every time, old Susanna, I know, I know. It's not in my notes, if that makes you feel better. I just popped out. That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What? That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That might have been the devil. <clears throat> These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Wow. These women who had no power, who had no authority, who really had nothing, and these women were supportive of the ministry, financially supportive of the ministry of Jesus. 
Let me give you a little bit more details about Mary the Magdalene. Just so you know, there were really two ways that you would refer to people and distinguish who, who they were back in the day. And one of those was by who their father was. And so Jesus would often be called Jesus the son, uh, Jesus the son of Joseph or, or J- Jesus the son of a carpenter. There was a second way, and that was where they were from. And so Jesus, a few moments ago in Mark's gospel, it was Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth. And I just say all that so that you understand that Mary Magdalene just means that Mary was from Magdala. Now, that's a big deal because I think that sometimes as, as pastors, as speakers, as communicators, we don't go deep enough into the Word. How many of you thought that that was just her last name? Anybody? The people in the 9 o'clock service were dumb as a sack of hair. I'm not kidding you. I could tell you were a lot smarter, a lot more spiritual, but those first guys, it was awesome because so many of them said, nobody ever told me. I just, Mary Magdalene, I thought that was her last name. No, it's where she was from. It's where she was from. And I read that it was actually a very wealthy city. It was an affluent city. It was kind of like the garment district. And, and Mary obviously is, is obviously a big part of this community. She's such a big part of this community that when people refer to her, they refer to her as being from Magdala. Mary the Magdalene. And I read that basically she became synonymous with the exports of the city. So she's known for success. Isn't that weird? Maybe it's just weird to me because I grew up my whole life believing different things about Mary. It's not what I really believed about Mary. It's not what I thought about Mary. It's not how I saw Mary. In fact, I think it actually started by a pope in maybe like the 6th century that she was really, it's been said, you can read it in commentaries, that she really was said to be a, a prostitute, a whore. And it's great preaching. Just ain't in the Bible. But my guess is a few minutes ago, you probably not how you pictured her when I said that she had had seven demons cast out of her. We know what it's like to be down and out. We just don't understand that you can also be up and out. That being out doesn't really matter how much money that you have in the bank. doesn't matter how much money that you have in the pocket. It doesn't, doesn't matter what, what neighborhood you live in, how kind of clothes you wear. doesn't matter how successful you might look or not look. That was Mary. She was living a life large but full of darkness. I guess you could say that her story is from demons to angels. Well, that's sweet right there, isn't it? And so Mary was there, and by there I mean that she was everywhere that Jesus and his disciples went. She was there to support the ministry, and she was there that when Jesus was crucified, his disciples had scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They were tucked away in an upper room with the door locked. They were scared to death. If somebody finds out, remember, Peter denied being a disciple of Jesus. He did not even know in Jesus. You know why? Because he thought they could do that to me. They thought they could do that to us. And so they were locked away in an upper room, scared out of their mind. But not, not Mary. Mary was there. She was fearless. So I guess love can produce action even when faith is weak. Maybe even when faith is completely and totally non-existent. Great love can. So it, it wasn't a fluke thing that caused Mary to be able to see Jesus 
rise from the dead and get a front row seat to the greatest story ever told. It wasn't a fluke. You know why? Because <laughs> she wasn't religious. It wasn't about religion for her. It was about a relationship with Jesus. And so she, she had lived her whole life, this, this last part of her life, she had just lived that life completely and 100% devoted to Jesus. And it, and it began that day that she literally started at the very bottom of a very dark ladder. And Jesus touched her. And according to Mark 16, Mary got to be the one to tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus was alive. Now, if you were raised Southern Baptist like I was, so she was the first evangelist, what you going to do with that? Put that in your old pipe and smoke it. You know what I'm saying? I shouldn't have said that, not here. <laughs> Forget that last part, sorry. Y'all are so good to me. You just, put, you know, you just put up with me, don't you? I appreciate it. She was the one who looked at Peter. And maybe she could look into the eyes of Peter. And maybe the angel said, I want you to tell Peter. Because if anybody understands forgiveness, if there's ever been anybody that, that can't quite get over the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the goodness of God, then it would be, it would be me. And so, and so she, she singles Peter out. She tells the other boys, I don't know how that went. And then she looked at Peter and she said, but Peter, I want you to know he's alive. He's alive, just like he said he would be. He's alive, and you can be forgiven. So, so what did she do right? What did she do right? Well, I would say that her great love for Jesus produced gratitude, and that gratitude, this gratitude that she had, she never got over meeting Jesus. And that gratitude produced action. And I guess you would be grateful if you'd had seven demons cast out of you. Now, if you just study and read, did she literally have seven demons cast out of her? I don't know, but I know one of the things that I do know. I do, I do know what the number seven is symbolic of. I know what it stands for when I see it in Scripture. Numbers, numbers are big. So it literally could be that there were seven demons, but I also know that there's another meaning is that she was, this, this word, this number seven, represents fullness and completeness. She was 100% fully committed to darkness. Are you with me? Let me tell you what I understand. It so happens I do what I do, and so I know more maybe than the average pastor of the average church. But we've dealt, I've dealt with some demon-possessed people here, believe it or not, over the years. And one of the things that I've come to understand is to get to that point of darkness, in darkness in your spiritual walk, is that you have to not just, you have to be open. You have to open those doors of your heart. She was given to, are you with me? There was something that was enticing about darkness and she was given to it. Maybe it was the lure of darkness and it would be that darkness that would bring success. I have no earthly idea, but what I do know was she was completely given over to until she found Jesus. And, and, and Jesus saw her and he found her and he touched her and he healed her and he brought meaning and hope to her life. 
but she never got over it. She, she just couldn't get over it. Why would you waste your time on me? There had to be those thoughts in her head. Seven demons in the, in the words of Satan himself that tell her that she was no good, that there was no hope, and then she met Jesus. I underline this in my notes. Gratitude. Ah. Hmm. Gratitude is never silent. Gratitude is never invisible. Spices weren't cheap. They weren't cheap. And she shows up at the tomb. Her faith is weak. She's got no faith. She's not coming with great faith to see a risen Lord. She was there to anoint a dead body. She's not looking for a risen Savior, but her love and her gratitude were strong. So her arms were, were full of these incredibly expensive spices. She was there to give. So maybe she's thinking, you know what, I know that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, I know he's a cool guy, and Nicodemus, they're awesome, but they're men. Ladies, y'all with me? They're men. I mean, how good of a job could they actually do anointing a body? You know what I'm saying? So maybe, maybe she was thinking to herself, I know that maybe a woman could do it better, and I know that if anybody can do it better, it would be me. I just want to do more. I can't give enough. I want to be there, and if this body is dead, I'm still not hopeless. My love hasn't changed. So she shows up early in the morning, early in the morning through the dark, risking it all while his disciples are locked away in a room, scared to death. So where does that courage come from? I'm glad you asked. I believe the answer is found in John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at, the, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? What's wrong with you, woman? It would have been awesome if they said, Where is your faith? That's not what they asked. Here's what she said. She said, they've, they've taken, look at those words, they've taken my Lord away. Those two words, they say it all. My Lord. She had given her whole life to Jesus. Her whole life. He was her healer. He was her master. He was her savior. So who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I think it's the most important question that you'll ever answer. She didn't say they've taken the Lord away. She said they've taken my Lord away. The possessive personal pronoun has the capacity to change everything for you. Is he your master? Do you as a follower of Jesus remember from whence you've come? Boy, I have. I I've been crying all day. I cried yesterday, just to be honest with you. No Friday. When I thought about what he would have been going through, 
And, and I'm, here's what I've learned to do. I've learned over the years, is it's just religion if it's what Jesus did. You can speak theological truth and it have no bearing on you. But for me, to stop and to pause and to think, wait a minute, he did that for me. He did that for me. And I've, I've never gotten over it. That Jesus would love somebody like me as messed up and as screwed up as I am. That he would love somebody like me. So where's your gratitude? No kidding. It's Easter Sunday. Where's your gratitude? What has your gratitude produced? What's it produced? What is this thing that's in you that maybe you can't get over? The love of Jesus. The incredible love of God that God so loved this triple X-rated world that He would send His Son. What's it produced in you? Are you like Mary and willing to risk it all? Or are you more like the disciples and you're just playing it safe? You're just playing it safe. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you thought you were just too deep in darkness. I love this story. love this story because it, it says to us that someone who was completely and totally committed to darkness possessed by demons could experience the love and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. If there had been anybody I'm sure that other people said, oh, I don't need you talking to Mary. There's no need you wasting your time on Mary. She's, she's totally given to darkness. You're, you're wasting your time on Mary. God said that God is absolutely crazy about you and he proved his love by sending his son and Jesus allowed an angry mob of people to cry crucify him he allowed an angry group of people to beat him almost to death he allowed them to put him on a Roman cross and hang him naked suspended between heaven and earth and shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sins why? Because he wants to be in a relationship with you. He's crazy about you. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you'd like to be, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. No one's looking around. Maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you'd just say, Heavenly Father, I, I didn't know. Maybe you would even say to him, you know what, I, th I thought that I was hopeless and helpless. And I can't imagine why you would go to such great lengths to display your love for me. And tell him, just go ahead and tell him, just say thank you for your willingness to die. But thank you for the power that's in the resurrection. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to step into my life and to the best of my ability. I just want to surrender my life to you. 
out of my gratitude for all that you've done for me. Tell him you love him. Just tell him you love him. It'll get you started and you'll learn to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him as time goes by. But just go ahead right now and just tell him. Tell him that you love him. He longs to hear those words from you. Lord, we do love you. How could we but love you? Lord, as your followers, we've not done a great job of communicating truth very well. Especially, Lord, the simple truth of your great love. We can mess that up. Lord, I'm sorry for that. But Father, I pray that it will be out of our great love for you, even when our faith is weak, and with gratitude that you would save old wretched sinners like us, that we would be willing to stand up and to show up. That, Father, we'd be faithful just to serve you. And that wherever you want us to be, that we'll be willing to follow. So once again, Lord, we just tell you that we love you. We want to tell you that you're awesome. You're absolutely worthy of our praise.